everyone and welcome to the sweet spot on a farm episode 13. Today I have a really lovely lady with me that I met on Bismarang and this lovely lady is Vivian McKinnon from Hydro Ease. Hi Vivian, how are you? <laughs> Hi Susanna, I'm great, thank you. It's lovely to be here. It's lovely to have you on, finally. I'd like to start with the title of your business. What does Hydro Ease mean? What is it? When we first looked at opening a flotation centre in Northern Ireland, we looked at lots of different names, we looked at lots of different logos, I was drawing lots of things, and I was at work one day, and just in my head I was thinking, do you know, hydro, hydro is water, and we could have the H for hydro and a 2O at the top of it, so it would be like water, so hydro ease would be like water ease. And that's what that's what hydro ease is. You know, it involves water, and it's about easing pain, whether that's mentally or physically. Um, so, so that was where hydro ease was born. And I, I, I drew it on a pad. I still have the pad where I drew the first hydro ease, and with the H two above it, and some bubbles above the H. And then, if you look at the logo above the ease, it's actually a lady. It's a profile of a lady floating. Ha! Huh, I didn't notice that. Yeah. <laughs> I have to look at that again. When we're leaving and you see the logo on the way out the door, you'll, you'll notice it. Once it's pointed out to you, you really notice it. But before that, it's because it's you're completely oblivious to it. That's awesome. I'll have to check it out. So Hydro Ease is a flotation centre. This is what we're going to talk about today. I've experienced it myself a few days ago and I'm still in the kind of I've just discovered something super awesome that's it in that kind of would you explain to our listeners what flotation is sure. and science and the intentions behind it definitely do you know what I'll go right back to the very beginning in 1950s there was a scientist called Dr John Lilly and his one of his assistants Jay Shirley in fact, I think they were both doctors and they were both looking at it. And basically, there was a lot of questions that had been left by the great thinkers of the turn of the century. So people like Sigmund Freud, Carl Jung, and what they had said, what John C. Lilly was interested in was, you know, we, we're awake and then we're sleeping. But what happens in the subconscious? And if we were to take all the stimulation that was coming in through the peripheral and the central nervous system, what would happen? Would we simply shut off or would we go somewhere else, what what would happen? Because every second of every day we're met by between two and forty million pieces of information coming in through our five senses. So everything we see, everything we hear, everything we feel, everything we taste and everything we smell. Now because well, the more experiences we have, then the more information we have available to us because the more we're processing things on an unconscious level. Every day we spend eighty percent of our energy fighting the effects of gravity. So if you're living with any kind of chronic pain, any kind of stress, anxiety, things like maybe fibromyalgia or post-traumatic stress disorder, that 80% of energy is zapped right away simply by getting up and keeping your feet on the floor. So what happens in flotation is you experience zero gravity. So it's 25 centimetres of body temperature water and half a tonne of Epsom salt. And when you go in, as you know yourself, you just float along the top of the water. Between 8 and 18 months, we our bones start to fuse and form. We're born with just over 300 bones. By the time they fuse and form, we're left with about 200. Now that happens between sort of 8 and 18 months. So that's when we take to our feet. So from that point on, our whole skeletal structure is like a, like a scaffold, like a cage that you know, everything else is attached to it. So on an unconscious level, once we master the art of walking, we are always either standing on our feet, sitting on our bum, or lying on our back. 
when you go into flotation, as well as zero gravity, you're no con- there's no connection to the world at all. So your unconscious mind's a bit, hang on, like, wh- am I standing up? Am I lying down? Am I on my head? Am I inside out? Am I back to front? You know, the, the unconscious mind starts to look because we like things to be the same as or similar to other things because it makes it easier for our conscious mind to process what's going on and make decisions and judgments about what we see in front of us. Past age seven, that very rarely happens, that we have what we call a clean experience because up until age seven, we've generally experienced anger, sadness, fear, hurt, guilt, laughter, elation, joy, happiness. We've had some sort of experience of all these emotions and then we build on them all the time. So by the time you go into a float tank, whether you're in your 20s, your 30s, your 40s, your 50s, or whether you're 15, whatever it is, your unconscious mind's like, oh, this is something we have never done before. We have no benchmark for it. We have nothing that we can compare or contrast it with. So sometimes people, when they're in the float, and I I don't know if you experienced this yourself, but you can feel like you're spinning round or you can feel like you're floating along a river. And again, because that's your unconscious mind trying to make judgment about where you are and what you're doing. On top of that, if you are living with any kind of sports injuries or, or anything like that, when you remove the stimulation coming in through your central and your peripheral nervous system, what then happens is that 80% of energy turns inwards, which activates the blood flow, stimulates both the lymphatic and the digestive system. So it means that you go through, your body starts to go through a rapid detox. It also starts to restrict the production of lactic acid and break down any lactic acid you have in your system. Now muscle fatigue and soreness and aches and pains are generally builds up of lactic acid. So if you have a sports injury, generally lactic acid will be you know one of the things that's causing that stress and that strain. So what happens in flotation is that because it softens everything from the inside and you're not fighting anything on the outside, it means that your body will rest and repair about four times faster than it would just lying in a bed. In terms of neurology, what it does within your mind is your brain will produce the same endorphins in the space of one hour as it would in about six or seven hours sleep. And that is because, again, there's nothing else for it to come in. It takes your mind into theta state. And theta state, there's four brainwave states. There's alpha and beta, theta and delta. Delta is your deep restful sleep state. Now, theta state is the state just before you go to sleep at night where you're not sleeping, but you're not awake, and you're in that really nice... You can maybe hear the whirling of the fan in the bathroom or the dog down the stairs, or you can hear... And you're just kind of drifting off and then somebody will maybe put a light on or something and you're like, oh, oh, was I sleeping there? You know, and that real kind of... You're, you're not sleeping, but you're not awake and you're just in that real kind of twilight sort of stage. Flotation takes you into that and suspends you there. So you spend maybe about well, anything between half an hour and, you know, 50 minutes or so in that state. So what then happens is when you go to go to sleep at night, you free fall through that state and you just go straight down into delta. So it's really good for insomnia. Because it creates hemispheric synchronisation, which means it creates across the left and the right brain, they start to synchronise together. So because it creates that, it's, it's really good for creative purposes. So like we have a guy that came in and he was learning exams. So he played the exams to himself. He spoke into his phone 
and played that back to himself when he was in the tank because theta state is your natural learning and consolidation state. So lots of people use this for lots of different things. There's a lot of research going on within the flotation world just now, mostly over in America because this is huge in America. And at the Laureate Institute of Brain Research, what they've found recently is that during the float, they've been using fMRIs and EEGs, and they've found that during the float, the, the activity within the amygdala, which is a part of the brain, it's part of the limbic system, and it's where your fight or flight lives. And during the float, it's starting to decrease activity within that part of the brain and increase activities in your problem-solving and creative response part of the brain. I think, you know, that's the antidote for modern life. We're not supposed to live the way we live. Our bodies evolved hundreds of thousands of years ago and our lifestyle has we, you know, we had the first revolution in the 17, 1750, you know, we had steam and it really, you know, it simplified our lives. We brought in spinning jennies and steam locomotives and all these things. We could transport products, goods, people, and we could do all these things and, you know, and, and life was starting to be great. And then, you know, and then electricity was developed. That was the next revolution. And electricity again brought us all these other opportunities and all these other things and, you know, like washing machines and, you know, like right up to sort of TVs and all this sort of stuff and then we had the third revolution which was the internet and information technology so again that made our lives you know we had phones we had like tvs we had all these different programs we had all these different channels we opened up these cables and all this different stuff we're now in the fourth revolution the fourth industrial revolution and have been for about maybe eight years or so where human computation and artificial intelligence have been blended together we're not supposed to be blended with technology. Do you know, our evolution, we haven't been, you know, taken in every hundred years and plugged in and had our software updated. You know, like another thing, in flotation, you, normally when you go into a body of water, your fingers open because we go through a process called osmosis. And that is to help us to catch fish or to climb our way out of water. But it's been a long time since we've had to catch fish with our bare hands or climb ourselves out of water. But we still have these processes. So our evolution is still very much back there. What our vehicle that we move about in our bodies and our minds is so out of date for the times we are living in. And, you know, there's a huge rise in people, you know, presenting with anxiety, with stress, especially workplace stress. It's huge. One in five people are off with stress in Northern Ireland. 90% of them don't feel able to tell their employer that that's the reason they're off. You know, £4 billion is lost every year in Northern Ireland to, to mental health. 40% of the people who live here live with the symptoms of trauma. As much as modern medicine, absolutely fantastic. The NHS system, there's nothing like it in the world. But if you're only ever going to medicate symptoms, you're never going to get to a root cause of anything. And we seem to have a nation where, at times now, the doctors are so pushed and so they have 10 minutes and they have such a tough schedule and they have all these things. At the end of the day, they work for these huge companies, you know, and they're interested in customers, you know, like that's good because that's what keeps them in business is people using their product. And sometimes it's just not the answer. Do you know, it's about connecting back with yourself. It's about removing yourself from that environment, from... I mean, I'm a mum, I have, I have three kids. They're, they're 20, almost 21, and five years old. And there's always somebody that's like, Mum, can you do... Like, where's mum? Even when I go for a bath, you know, I have to leave the door open in case the wee one wants to come in and see me about something because he'll just stand knocking at the door and knocking at the door <laughs> until he gets in. So even things like that, you know, even... But even your phone, you know, we carry our phones with us 
all the time, you know, we're constantly impacted by Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, electricity, all these things. Flotation just offers a sanctuary away from that, just an hour where you can just go and just, you know, gather yourself back into yourself because we, we're human beings, but all we ever do is do, but we're, but we're not human doings, but we have became human doings by forgetting that we are actually human beings. God, I can't, I can't <laughs> disagree with any of what you just said. And, you know, that's pretty much what my experience was, that when I shut the door and let myself just completely be consumed by the peacefulness mm-hmm. of the whole flotation experience, I just felt really free. Yeah. And, you know, when the hour was up, I actually really didn't want to come out of there. I just wished I could throw away my phone, my computer, and just, just go back there for another few days, never mind a few hours. That's it. It is true that we live in a way we are probably not supposed to, but that teaches us to constantly try and control everything. And we forget that we are naturally, we are a natural machine that works with how us trying to control mm-hmm. it and when I just lay down on the water for the first few seconds I tried to control the way I was positioned and lying on the water and it took me a good few seconds to kind of realize that I just need to let go mm-hmm. I didn't need to control anything and that's the thing in flotation each float gives you what you need at that time and the one thing that flotation has taught me is the only expectation to ever have in life is no expectations so you know like in flotation as as, as soon as you go in like as soon as I go in it's almost like ah it's my friend I'm back Um, and I take a deep breath and then I just let my breath go and then I just bring the focus to my breath because it restricts activity within the amygdala it's really a great place for when you have nothing else to think about. It'll sometimes bring up things that are left for resolution. So if you have something that's been bothering you, you can take it to the tank. If it's ready and it's time for you to think about it and it's time for you to address whatever that whatever that is, whatever that decision is, whatever that experience is, if it's time for you to address it, the float will bring it to you. And because you have restricted access to the amygdala, it means that you can look at things from a really alternative perspective. And going back to what I was saying about the hemispheric synchronisation, what that means is it means that the left brain and the right brain can synchronise together. So your left brain is very much about linear processing, it's about strategies, structure, all these different things. Your right brain is very creative. So if you can think about things from a really creative perspective in a really linear fashion, then it means that you become a really effective thinker. And it means that you have the ability to say, hang on a minute, you have the ability to step back and problem solve from a really creative spot. One of the girls who does some work in here for me, she was just like, do you know, Viv, you, 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 you're a doer, do you know, you go and you just, you, you see something and you go and you do it. And I was like, but it's because I'm seeing it from a very different perspective. I'm almost like, you know, I'm thinking really creatively, but structuring a process at exactly the same time. They're not two different things. And that is how we used to, that's how we became top of the food chain, is because we came from that very good place. We came from, and when it was dark, it was dark. And it was night time, it was night time. If we wanted to have shoes or we wanted to have tools, we made them ourselves. Everybody needs to float. We all need to take, one hour is 4% of your day. If you can't give yourself 4% of one day, 
every week or even every month or even every six weeks or something? Are you really being as effective as you can for other people that are around about you? Are you really being as effective as you can within your own business? Are you really being as effective as you can within your own family? Because you're not giving yourself that time. And what that what the float brings to you is that sense of it's me. This is this is me. You know, I remember chatting with a girl a few weeks ago and she was like, an hour in a room all by myself with no other stimulation. Oh my goodness, I couldn't do that. Oh no, I'm rubbish company. And I just thought, what a sad way to be, do you know, that that you're so scared of your own company that you that you don't want to afford yourself that four percent of your day to just be. And it is so important because I think that's what makes us forget who we are for ourselves. One of the things that I really loved about the flotation is that that's something you said that you kind of either picture yourself floating down the river or something like that. I did actually feel like I was lying in this mountain stream or something and I could almost hear the birds singing and and the bees buzzing yes. and, and you know smell the flowers and I just I just suddenly was surrounded by my childhood. I grew up uh, with my grandparents in a countryside and all these smells and and the sounds of the nature Mm -hmm. it was suddenly back and I absolutely loved it and you can almost feel the kind of you're in this dark you know room with no stimulation whatsoever but I could almost feel the sun on my skin yeah it was just so beautiful and it's interesting you mentioned growing up because you know like growing up I dealt with many different things um, I had a parent who was alcohol dependent and by age 10 I had had I'd experienced every kind of abuse that you could imagine so I was quite a frightened child but just wanted to make everybody laugh all the time so put on this real kind of face I remember being a kid and if my mum raised her voice anywhere near me I would wet myself and I remember having really bad skin conditions and I had like a big psoriasis sort of point here about 13, 14 I was introduced to alcohol and I was like this is amazing so about 14, 15 I was introduced to cannabis by the time I was 20 I was in police protection Well, I was actually homeless I had left um, I had been living in a homeless hostel but I then went onto the streets with my son to, um, I was fleeing a domestic violence relationship and um, you know we had the clothes that we had on and we, I mean I was only on the street for in effect two days one night but I remember it very clearly and then I was introduced to amphetamine and cocaine and it was just, and it was great these were the things that were helping me to avoid the pain these were the things that, so like that lady was saying about you know what, not wanting to be on her own, these were the things and it was when I was on my, it was when I was with everyone else but more so when I was on my own that I would take these to you know to block everything out by the time I finished my my 20s I was I I was rushed into the hospital they thought I had meningitis and again it was that mind-body connection I just went we can't do this anymore we cannot do this anymore I was constantly firefighting and I had these different personas depending who I was talking to so if I was in front of my dad I was this version of me if I was in front of my friends I was this version of me if I was at work I was this version of me and I just, everything just got so confusing. So I spent three days in intensive care and then within six hours of regaining consciousness I was back up sitting in the bed and, you know, it was almost like I was I was ready to go again. And the doctor said then, go home and for the next two weeks only go from your bed to the couch to the bathroom. 
do not do anything, you know, do not exert yourself at all and um, and don't go to work, take time off work. So, which I've done, which I'm glad now I did do and I took that advice. So took that time to allow my body and my mind to heal. Started my 30s and I'd spent that few years kind of going, I really should stop this, but I'll do it later. And then, you know, it was like, right, I'm going to stop it. I'm definitely going to stop it. The next thing I was absolutely hammered on whatever drug or whatever substance, or I was gambling, I was standing in, you know, on the, the, the you know, the one-armed bandit machines. Um, so I was standing, putting all my money in them, or I was doing anything I could still to avoid this pain. Um, in 2001, I went to um, China, and I walked the Great Wall of China, and just went by myself. There was 50 other people there, and I had never met any of them before. And sometimes I was panicking so much, I was standing in the shower in the morning going, I can't go back out here, I can't see these people. And But there was the, well, I have to, because we're moving from this place today, and we're taking the bus, and we're going walking like 20 miles along the wall, and then we're going, like we're taking an overnight train, and we're doing, so just really challenged myself the whole time. But was on and off the wagon the whole time, do you know, like from from China right up until 2004. And the first time I went into a float tank, it was a tank. So traditionally flotation has been done in tanks. You climb in, it's like an egg or a triangle or like a big box. You climb in and you close the lid on top of yourself. It's almost like a coffin kind of like structure. To bring that to Northern Ireland was just like people are not going to. They're just not going to buy into that. And um, so that's why we've bought. That's why we've had the cabins handmade that we have. So our cabins, as you know, have the two doors. They're seven feet in height, six feet by eight feet. But I remember getting in this small pod thing, and I was thinking, oh my god, what am I doing in here? A friend had suggested I try it. She'd said that you know, sorry, he had said you know it would be really good for you. He was originally from Sweden. Um, and he said, you know, it'd be really good for you. It'd be really good for some of the things that I see in you. So I went and I lay in there and I thought, oh, for goodness sake. I was going to swear there. I was like, oh, for goodness sake, I'm going to have to lie here for an hour by myself, with myself. Oh, I don't even like me. Why am I in here? And then the voice started. And what are you doing this for? And then, and then all of a sudden, I just remember that feeling of floating. And it was just like... And it reminded me, I was like, I remember of that. I remember the times when my mum was sober and that we would have the glimpses throughout my childhood that I would be up and sitting next to her and just feel connected. And that all came back. So it reminded me of that feeling. It reminded me of that feeling of being connected. It reminded me of that safety and security and just that knowing that it's going to be all right. You know, everything's going to be all right kind of thing. And then I just something popped and then I just had this vision of I'd love to own a float centre. And I had almost like an outer body where I could see myself floating through the walls of this float centre and there was people having therapies and there was like a pram shed at the back and there was like a creche area and then I came into reception and there was like a book and it had like NHS days on Tuesdays and Thursdays and we took people from the NHS who had who were struggling with addiction or who were struggling with mental health. I had this whole business plan and then heard bing bong and I was like and I got up and I got out the pod and I stood showering and I was standing and I was just looking in the water and I was like what what just happened like what what happened there and then I was like oh my god my body feels like I've I've got somebody this is not my body whose body's this and I went out and I said to the woman um that was amazing like what what the woman who owned the center um what happened there like what is that 
She says, yeah, I know, it's lovely, isn't it? It's just really relaxing. And I was like, no, 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 no. What happened that this, like, I could hardly speak. She says, yeah, yeah, it's really, it's really lovely. It's just, it's, it's the closest thing to being in the womb and it's zero gravity. And I was like, but what happened? What exactly happened? And she said, well, it's the zero gravity. I was like, nah, this is a medical intervention. This is, people should know about this. This should be used. Like, this should be in hospitals. This should be in, like, what? why does it work? What has it just done? She was like... I'm not really very sure. So I've spent since 2004 till now, still, and I'm still doing it, finding what the, the connection between the mind and the body. So in 2004, there and then, it was like, right, I am on it. This is this has changed my life. This is from this moment on. This is where I stop. This is where the the hiding from the pain stops. This is where the avoiding reality stops. This is where avoiding me as a person and also almost like gathering every version of me together and going, right, guys. From here on in, this is what we're doing. What's wrong with you? What is why? Why were your needs not met? Right. What can we do that can heal you within me? Right. We'll do that. What can we do that can heal you? And going round and kind of almost like appointed the CEO. Right. The CEO, the Vivian that was just in that float tank, is the CEO. She's the boss around here now. So everybody does what she says. All right. I went to college and studied health and social care to look at the underpinning values of the whole industry, um, and in terms of health and social care. And then went to university and studied social sciences, so looked at psychology and looked at more so social psychology and group psychology. Because I was really interested in why, when I was on my own, was I this person? And why was I, when I was in front of people, I was the star performer, I was making people laugh, I was the life and soul of the party. Why was I doing that? I then stumbled across neuro-linguistic programming. Absolutely loved it. Just, it made so much sense to me. And then studied um, cognitive behavioural therapy, studied timeline therapy, hypnosis absolutely loved hypnosis loved the whole idea of because at the end of the day the best nation in the world by far is the one that's inside your head it's your imagination and that is because you're it's your people and they know you there and you can and you can make that nation whatever you like and um, so to make it the best nation in the world is in your favor to do that I studied laughter yoga and then recently a couple of years ago I studied the havening technique and that looked at psychosensory approach. What I've learned throughout all my life experiences is that when we disconnect from ourselves, we disconnect from everyone else around about us. All the structures, all the environments, people, everything. Havening is a psychosensory approach, so it involves touch. You touch people in the arms, the hands and the face. And what that does is creates delta wave within the brain. So working with people and, and you know, working with myself and doing, you know, doing Haven in Touch and then going into the float cabin, it means that you're inviting the mind into Delta Wave. You're working with deep-rooted neurological process and so whatever that experience has been for that person that's caused that root cause, that's given that core belief, whatever that is, if you work with that and then put someone into a float tank, what then means, what that then means is that you have that hour of changing things about and making real deep transformational change within the neurology and then putting them into a float tank, they make sense of it for themselves. So regardless of how good a therapist you are, whether you're working on the body or the mind, so whether you're a cognitive behavioural therapist, a counsellor, a hypnotist, or a physiotherapist, or a chiropractor, or whatever, we're all using our knowledge of the human mind and body to work on other people's human mind and body. In flotation, it's your human mind and body working on your human mind and body because no one knows for sure where we've stored anything. So we have an experience out here, we make sense of it ourselves and then we store it within our, our, our neurology and our physiology. So if at the point of something happening, you go, 
like that and everything you see, hear, feel, taste, smell is encapsulated in that moment and your body's tight and tense, the tightness and the tenseness of the body becomes part of that experience that you've locked in to your neurology as well. Confirming my belief, my personal belief, that post-traumatic stress disorder is storing of trauma in the peripheral nerve, the central nervous system, which is the, the brain and the spinal cord. And five things like fibromyalgia is storing of trauma in the peripheral nervous system, which is everything else that's outside that. Do you know, and, and that's why you know today this, the work that I do with my clients is helping people to heal. It's because ultimately that's it's the thing we're all seeking for. We're all looking. We're all looking to heal. We're all looking to you know smooth over the things of the past that make sense of them. And again, going back to hence why I now have that. The only expectation I have is no expectations because when you put labels on things, if you have experiences out here and you think, right, I'm going to go and do that, this is going to happen, that's going to happen, this is going to happen, you're either going to reach that and then stop because you've achieved what you set out to achieve or you're going to fall short and you're going to be going, well, this should have happened and that should have happened and if they had done this and that had done it, so you're, going to, you're, either going to, you're either going to be upset or you're going to limit your capabilities. Where if you have no expectations and you have, we'll just see what kind of happens, then on an unconscious level, you're constantly looking for opportunity, whether you think it or not. If you Say you buy a new car, right? And anybody who's listening to this who's bought a new car will get this one. When you buy a new car and you think, oh, it's beautiful, it's a blue Honda Civic and it's that really sparkly, nice blue. And you get it and you drive at the garage forecourt and you're driving down the street and you're like, oh, there's a car the same as mine. And you're like, oh, okay. And then you're driving further down, you're like, there's another car the same as mine. And then a couple of weeks later, there's another car. And you've spotted loads of cars on the road the same as your car. They've always been there. Yeah. These cars are not just suddenly sent because it's like, ah, ha, ha, she's bought that car. Let's throw this one on the road. They've always been there. But at that moment in time, you're, you're focusing on something else. And again, it goes back to every second of every day, we're met by between 2 and 40 million pieces of information. Our brain can only compute about 134 bits of that. So our brain will delete information that's not important to us. So when you're driving along the road and you're beat up red Volkswagen Corsa, um, it's not important that there's lovely blue sparkly Hondas on the road because it's not on your horizon. It's not You're deleting all of that because it doesn't make any sense to you. It's not really important to you. But then you buy the blue Honda and it does become important to you because this is your car and you're hypersensitive to all the other things that are going on. We then um, distort information to fit our view of the world. Or if, uh, if you believe you are um, you're vulnerable, other people are unreliable, and the world's a dangerous place, then you'll find things to fit that because you have between 2 and 40 million bits of information to work from and you can only process 134. You'll find 134 bits to fit one of the beliefs. In flotation, what that does is, it's, it, as you say, it's that whole, just let it go. Just let it go. There's nothing, the only thing you can really have any influence, any control over is what's happening right here in this moment. And even then, the only things you have control over is the thoughts that go on inside your own head. Because the thoughts that go inside your own head then decide the emotions, then decide all these other things. And if you're fully in control of what's going on within your own ship, then you're sailing to wherever you want to go. Do you know, you're not being led by other people, you're not being having your anchor down and being stuck in a certain place. So... And I think for me, that, that's what flotation's about. My, my son, when he was 15 years old, he had been... He, he kind of, Gary kind of struggled because I had Gary when I was a lot younger and I had you know, all these experiences kind of happened. Gary's seen and experienced a lot of stuff that he probably shouldn't have. So he had, they, they wanted to diagnose him with ADHD and give him Ritalin. This was in 1994. 
and and I said there's no way because I knew Ritalin was amphetamine and I knew at that point I knew exactly what amphetamine was because I was taking enough of it and uh, and I said no we'll, we'll try and do it through his diet and all this stuff so there was always visits to the school and other people and he sat down at 15 and he said mum why do people say they've taken offence and instantly my heart sank and I was like oh thinking what has he said who's he upset what is he and I said, why, why are you asking that? And he said, well, I just think, I just think it's a really strange saying. You know, people saying I've taken offence at that because when we say things to other people, we don't say, we don't give offence. We don't say, oh, I'm going to go and give offence today. We just work on how things are working in our own heads. So sometimes people might find things upsetting or annoying or offensive or... But the person that said it maybe doesn't. They maybe don't realise what it is that they're saying. So why do people always say they've taken offence? Surely that's their issue. And you know, and I sat there and I thought, do you know what, for 15 years old, you have such a fantastic working within your own head. Yeah, I could talk all day, Susanna. As <laughs> <laughs> you probably see. <laughs> I really like the idea of the flotation, the work together with other therapies because I can totally see how beneficial it can be and I I don't think that people realize how important it is for different pieces to work together in synergy it's Mm -hmm. the same way if you're prescribing natural medicine or Mm -hmm. changing a diet there are different elements that need to work together people think oh there's a magic pill for everything I'll go to a GP I'll get a prescription I'll be fixed well it doesn't work like that because there are other elements that have to work together with that pill so the flotation working with other therapies i think it can be such a powerful tool in healing but also in preventative care Absolutely. you know to prevent mm-hmm. any sort of mental issues even physiological issues mm-hmm. it's such an amazing place to be to get yeah. yourself mentally in into such a space a really healthy space and it's really something that my grandmother used to say when we were kids and we used to completely dismiss that but my grandmother always said every day she would tell us in healthy body healthy mind and and, and things we're taught by the people you know by the people around about us stand us in good stead going forward so even though you know, as a child, it was really quite a confusing place for me. We had, I stayed in a tiny village just night about 10 miles south of Edinburgh called Roslyn. And there's a really famous chapel there. And there's it's, it's, it's a beautiful part of the world, absolutely beautiful. And there's a ley line, there's two ley lines cross in Roslyn. It's quite a mystical kind of place. It's quite spiritual. It's, it's lovely. It's really nice. And you know you're somewhere really special when you go there. And I was fortunate enough at the end of our main street, you walk down to where the, the, the chapel was, and uh, the chapel still is, and there was a castle, and there was like a big glen, and over the other side of the glen was another village, and, and it was just, it was a lovely place as a kid. How none of us died as kids playing down there, I will never know. But, you know, like things like, there's certain smells, you know, like the, the garlicky smell when the when the snowdrops and bluebells are first coming up, and just all that kind of stuff, that as soon as you smell it, it's like, oh, and it just takes you back to that place, because as when we have an experience or an event, we store that within our neurology, and we store it within, you know, what, what, what it meant to us at that time. Whether it's a good experience or a bad experience, it's an experience. But what sometimes happens is when we have a bad experience, and we are a frightening experience or a fearful experience or whatever it is. And then we talk to someone else about it who was there and they say, oh, do you know that after that happened, this happened, and then this happened with them? And they add to your memory. So then 
maybe you think about that memory again, you're never accessing the original memory of what happened and what you saw, heard, felt, tasted, smelled in that moment. You're remembering the last time you accessed that memory. So it's like a book. If you, if you start a book and you read the first 40 pages, when you go back to pick it back up again, you'll pick it back up at page 40 with the understanding of the first 40 pages. You'll read maybe 100 pages and then you'll put it down and you'll go back to it and you'll go back to it on page 140 with the previous experience of the beginning of the book. So it's the same with an event. So sometimes when we have something that can be quite scary, you know, whether it's been... Um, do you know, uh, something that's happened on you personally or something you've seen, um, and especially in Northern Ireland, you know, the legacy of the Troubles over here is massive. And, do you know, a lot of people I've spoken to and they've said, you know, we grew up in the Troubles but never seen any of it. And, you know, and I get that, but you've still seen the, the murals that are on the walls that are reminding you, this is what happened here and these are the people that, that are fighting for your cause or these are the people you need to fear or this is what happened on this date in this place. You know, some people might never have um, you know, witnessed any of this or seen any of it. They've certainly grew up in that, that, that culture of this is what's happening in your wee country. Prior to opening Hydries, I worked in FASA, which was the Forum for Action and Substance Abuse. And when I came to Northern Ireland, I had, um, I'd, before, previously I'd been working with young people in the care system. Um, going back to what I was saying earlier, after that, that float in 2004, I um, had started volunteering for a charity who helped young people whose lives had been impacted by the care system, who'd been, um, you know, who were making the transition from being looked after and accommodated to independent living skills. And then, um, and then I was like, I really want to get into working with people with addictions because I have so much in blood. And then I stopped myself after that float and was kind of like, hang on a minute, what would be my intention for that? And I was like, my intention would be to help my healing probably if being really selfish that's that's probably what my main intention would be I'd be doing it because there's something in me that still needs healed and then I was kind of going right well I'll stay working what I'm doing because you know working with young people leaving the care system although I was never actually in care I was always on the cusp of it and it's not something that's you know I feel that I've got my intention here is to be that is to help these young people to identify where their anchors are before they can even pull them in in the first place. So I'd done that, and then in 2006, my mum passed away. Um, her body just completely gave up after years of alcohol misuse. And, and you know, we watched her going through that. Within the space of six days, she became unwell and died. Um, and again, going back to, you know, the NHS system, she was given drugs that she should never have been given, and there was lots of different things. People were using their experience of what they thought was going on, and but it ended up with disastrous results. Um, so after 2006, you know, I, I spent another about a year, you know, just like had went real backwards. But I call it an oops. You know, it wasn't a relapse or it wasn't a, it was an oops. It was a moment of the main driver of how the things that had impacted me in my life had been my mum. And she is gone now. So it was that whole like scoop had been taken out my identity. So by the time I came to Northern Ireland, I had a good time that I had been you know, in recovery, I had a good time that my mum had passed away and I just sort of came over here and I was like, what is my intention now to work and find employment over here? And I thought, no, do you know what, I'm going to go into mental health and um, and substance misuse just because I feel now that I have a lot to give to this industry as well as purely selfish reasons. I think, but, it was, but this time it was to, to make me feel good about what I'm doing. It wasn't to heal anything within me because I'd already done that. So I was like, right, this is my intention, this is my why, this is my why for doing what I'm doing, it's to help people to heal. And it's to help people to heal who, on a, on a neurological level, have just kind of lost themselves somewhere in the mix. Because in terms of addictions, 
you know, the question should never be why the addiction. The question should always be why the pain. Where is the pain? Where is it? What What is it that's driving this? Because addiction, regardless of what it is, is a byproduct of something else. It's a symptom of something else. And when you find that something else, then you'll find that this symptom will start to dissipate. I just, I'm so passionate about what I do. I just love it because I know that the the power to be had in helping yourself heal through the use of flotation, like, and, and that is my mission, is to have you know all these other things, but ultimately bring it down to flotation. Take whatever it is that you've learned, what you want to learn, what you know, what you think you know, what you think you should know, what you what you would like to, or what you just want to get rid of. You know, there's so many times I take things into the tank, and I just lie there, and I, then I'm like, take the deep breath, focus on my breath, and I'm like, today I'd like to leave whatever in the tank. Today I would like to get whatever from the tank and maybe even sometimes do a bit of havening you know what if this was the best float ever what if this was the best float ever because I've had some great floats I mean I had one float where I actually felt that I was being submerged in the water and that I was going and then in my head I was in the sea and I was floating in the middle of the sea and there's a really famous picture and I can't remember who done it or or the way it is but it's just a, a girl floating just in the sea and she's got a big sort of floaty dress on and she's just and she looks so peaceful and and serene in this water and I felt myself doing that and I was like oh my god this is amazing this is and then the wee voice in the back of my head went but Viv you can't you can't breathe underwater and instantly I was like (laughs) and I sat up and I was like and then I was like oh oh my god that voice in my head that voice and all my life when I was younger it was that voice that "Mm, who do you think you are what do you think you're doing why you're stupid why did you do that like and that's the wee voice that shuts up when I'm in the float but in that particular float it was the one wee voice that went but you can't breathe underwater (laughs) so so I've had floats like that but it's just there's so much like sometimes I come out the float and I'm almost in tears with how emotional I feel sometimes I come out the float and I'm giggling and giggling and giggling but the float will release whatever it is you need to release we've had people in here in floods of tears we've had disclosures in here we've had people coming out killing themselves laughing we've had you know, if we could get everyone from up the hill and um, storming in here and just shut the door, I would reckon give it two or three hours and we would have we would have a parliament back here. We, every, <laughs> and then my plan will go over to America, we'll get Trump in the time. <laughs> well, I'm not sure I would want to see the result of that. <laughs> So this is the plan was gonna make you famous. We're gonna heal the storm on the libraries. Exactly. Exactly. Folks, tune in next week on BBC News Northern Ireland. Exactly. You heard it here first, people. You heard it here first. Sorry, folks, for having to cut it here, but. Vivian and I talked for close to two hours, so once again, I'm splitting this episode in two. Even though we talked about some serious stuff, as you can hear, we laughed a lot and I contributed not only to Vivian being such a wonderful person, but also to the power of flotation, of course. If you are based in or visiting Northern Ireland, you can find HydroEase just outside Belfast at Unit C3 Inspire Business Park, 16 Carraway Road, Dundonald, BT16 1QT. You can book for a flotation on 028-9521-5155 or email at info at hydro-ease.co.uk or book via their website 
hydro-ease.co.uk. You can float any day from Tuesday to Saturday from 10am with HydroEase being open late until 10pm on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And if you like it, you can save yourself some money with block bookings, which is what I'm going to do for sure. Before I let you go about your daily life, I'm going to give you a quick recipe for this week. Now it's nearly summer and with spring and summer comes my obsession with radish. It could be black radish, yellow radish, red radish or daikon, the Chinese white radish, which is awesome by the way if you haven't tried it. And I love them on their own, in salads, soups and in many other things. But the best way to eat them, I find, is as a cracker topping or bread topping if you can eat bread or any other bread alternative. So what I do is I spread a very generous amount of coconut oil on a piece of raw cracker and top it with equally generous amount of grated radish and a pinch of salt. And that's it. You don't need to do anything else. It works with rice cakes, buckwheat crackers, sourdough bread, chapatis or anything else you may want to munch on. I prefer to eat it with the homemade raw cracker and being the sweet spot lover I am, I have a sweet potato cracker recipe for you. Now this one is from my cookbook and it's on page 86. So if you have the sweet spot cookbook, you can switch off the podcast and go and make them. If not, you need the following ingredients. 200 grams whole linseed, golden or brown or a mix, it doesn't really matter. 200 grams sprouted buckwheat. Now you can buy sprouted buckwheat I believe in some health food shops or you can sprout them yourselves and in summertime it really doesn't take that long. What you do is you just steep buckwheat groats in water for about half an hour and then you drain them, rinse them and leave them sit in a colander above a bowl for up to 24 hours but I find that in summertime when it's really warm sometimes it takes less than 18 hours to sprout and you can rinse them a couple of times a day to speed it up if you like and once you see a little tail about the size of the buckwheat groat that's it you don't need to keep sprouting them for any longer that's your buckwheat groat sprouted and ready to go. You'll also need two medium sweet potatoes about 200 to 250 grams each one teaspoon of sea salt or pink salt or any other good healthy salt, two teaspoons of rosemary, dried or fresh, fresh is better, pinch of cayenne pepper and 20 grams of coconut oil. The flux is your binder. What you do is steep it overnight in water or for 10 to 12 hours if you're doing it during the day. You can either mill the whole lot or you can mill half of it and leave the other half as whole linseed. It really depends what kind of texture you prefer. If you are in any way sensitive to flax or are on low FODMAP diet, like I am at the moment, you can use chia seeds instead and do maybe half chia seeds, half milled sesame seeds, or you can do chia seeds, sesame and psyllium husk, just as long as altogether it gives you around the 200 grams. If you are using chia seeds, I do suggest to mix it up either with psyllium or sesame seeds because 200 of milled chia seeds, it can be a little bit too much the texture is slightly different from flax but you do the same you just mill it and you'll steep it in water overnight use spring water or filtered water because you will use the whole mixture including the water once that's ready and your binder is done and your buckwheat groats are sprouted you need to deal with your sweet potatoes now you can do it two ways you can either steam the sweet potatoes and use it mashed 
or you can grate them and use them raw. Sometimes I prefer to steam them first, the texture is kind of, they're smoother. Sometimes I tend to just put them in grated because I like it a bit more kind of chunky and, and crispy. So it really depends on you. One thing is if you do steam the potatoes and mash them first, it takes a lot longer to dehydrate the crackers. So if you don't want to wait too long, grate them. So once that's all done, you just mix it all in a bowl together with your herbs and your salt and your melted coconut oil and work the dough until you get an even well mixed mixture. And then you just spread the mixture over to baking trays lined with baking paper or over to um, dehydrator trays and your Teflex sheets. Now if you have a dehydrator it's very easy you just pop it in and you dehydrate it at about 45 degrees for 14 to 16 hours turning it halfway to make sure that it's thoroughly dehydrated. The beauty of dehydrator is that you can turn it on you can set your hours and then you can go away and leave it. Now if you are doing this in the oven you obviously wouldn't do that. So with oven you have two options. You are either going to bake it at a higher temperature for a couple of hours, turning it around halfway through, or you can dehydrate it in your oven, but that requires you being at home for the whole time it's being dehydrated because oven is not something you just wanna walk away from. So if your oven goes below 50 degrees, great, you can dehydrate it. If it doesn't, turn it on as low as you can. Now, the way you line it, either on your Teflex sheets or on your baking paper line tray, you can use either a spatula or something similar to make it kind of flat and even and form a square, like a big square. You can also roll a rolling pin in cling film or something that I prefer not using but for this purpose it's actually brilliant and roll it out as you would a dough. Now the reason why you would wrap your rolling pin is that it won't stick to the mixture. If you don't wrap it and you just use just a plain rolling pin it'll stick to it. So once you have those two squares ready you take a pizza cutter or blunt end of a knife and you cut your squares into smaller sized crackers. I usually cut each square into 16 crackers. That's the way I do it, but you can cut your, your crackers um, as big or as small as you prefer. The reason why you cut it before you bake it is that then you can just snap them. If you don't do that, then you try to divide them into crackers after the mixture has been dehydrated. It's really difficult to do that. And that's it. Remember that you can download the recipe from the Sweets by Instagram and Facebook. And that's it for this episode. If you liked it and want to know more about HydraEase, tune in for the next episode, part two of my interview with Vivian, who will also share a quick, easy and healthy recipe with you. Have a great couple of weeks. Go and float if you can, relax and stay healthy. Until next time. As always, your host was myself, Susanna, the author of The Sweet Spot. Music has been provided by Mark J. Adair of Singapore Studios and artwork by Gemma O'Hagan of Gemma O'Hagan Design. <laughs>